All right, and if you're staying here, I invite you to open your Bibles to uh, Psalm 136. It's good to get lost in worship, isn't it? Boy, oh boy. Except for now, I can't see very clearly because there's moisture in my eyes. Got something in my eye. What an incredible thing to sing about. Our God, who has looked on his son, and because of what Christ did on the cross, we are completely pardoned, totally set free from sin, past, present, future. We have, who put our faith and trust in Jesus, are absolutely forgiven, stamped on our hearts, forgiven. Ah, thanks for the worship. I'm going to get choked up again if I don't get into my sermon. So that'll ruin it. No, not really. That, that shouldn't ruin it. Ah, good stuff. I, I very much appreciate singing stuff about our, our wonderful, wonderful Savior. And as we uh, come this morning, we recognize that Thursday is Thanksgiving. Can it be? <laughs> it's here already. Thursday is Thanksgiving, and then uh, I already saw Christmas commercials. How about you? I saw them right after Halloween. I was like, seriously? What happened to giving thanks? But this morning, I want us to be encouraged to have a happy Thanksgiving, really. So let's pray. Father, we do come to you, and we thank you so much for your word. We, we thank you that you've given it to us that we might be encouraged this morning. And Lord, as we look at this psalm, I just pray that your word would be true in our hearts and lives, that your Holy Spirit would guide us into this truth, and that he would help us apply it as we leave this place. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you heard it? Have you heard the statement, have a happy Thanksgiving? Happy Thanksgiving, right? That's what we say, happy Thanksgiving. It leaves me wondering. Is that a wish? I wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Is it a command? I have to have a happy Thanksgiving. What if I don't feel happy? What if I don't feel thankful? What if, what if I don't want to have a happy Thanksgiving? I mean, would you consider saying happy Thanksgiving to a turkey? I found some funny cartoons that I wanted to show you real quick. On the screen here, maybe. Where'd they go? They left. They're, are they coming? Okay. I got to stall a little bit more. I don't know how to do a tap dance, but anyway. Um, there we go. Okay. Yes? Is it going to work? Anyway, there were going to be cute little cartoons up there on the screen that you were going to just laugh. There we go. All right. Good, good, good. So I don't know if you can see this very well. Let me kind of describe it for you. There's a, there's a turkey there, and he's looking this way, and behind him is a stump with an axe in it. And he goes, Woohoo! the farmer invited me over for dinner. And down below it says, for, even for a turkey, Tommy wasn't very bright. Or how about this one, this next one? It's gotten bigger. There it is. There's a, a turkey on stilts, and he has a big pink beak wrapped around his head. And one turkey's saying to the other, he's got a point. Nobody eats a flamingo on Thanksgiving. 
Or how about this one? Here is uh, power lines, and there's birds on there, and then you got this turkey weighing down one of those power lines, and the turkey's going gobble or tweet, tweet. And one bird is saying to the other, I don't know about this new guy. Seems like maybe he's hiding from something. But here's my favorite. This is my favorite. Turkey's online. He's, he's on the computer. He's on his laptop, as turkeys normally do. And uh, behind him is the farmer coming with a grin on his face, axe in hand. And the turkey is looking at his Facebook page, and he's going, I wonder what it means when the far- farmer unfriends me on Facebook. Thought that was kind of cute. So do you say happy Thanksgiving to a turkey? The reason why I bring that up is because some of us may feel this Thanksgiving kind of like a turkey. Now, I'm not calling you a turkey, okay? In the 80s, that's what we used to jokingly call our buddies. You turkey. That's what we used to say. I'm not calling you a turkey today. I'm saying maybe you're kind of feeling like a turkey. Maybe this Thanksgiving seems to be anything for you but thankful and happy. Maybe you don't find any happiness or thankfulness right now in your own life. Maybe it's because of personal anxiety, personal struggles, things that are going on. As you compare last year to this year, you remember last year you had great health. You, 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 were, you were strong and, and you had good health. And this year that has changed. And maybe it's a doctor's diagnosis Maybe it's a family member who was diagnosed with something, and this year it causes you to feel less than happy. Maybe it was, you, you look back last year and you go, man, you, you had a support system, you had people in play, but this year that support system's gone and you're feeling lonely this year. Maybe last year you thought sky was the limit financially, you were well taken care of, things were hunky-dory, and this year you realize you're in the midst of some pretty, pretty hard and difficult financial struggles. I don't know what it might be personally for you, but perhaps you're here feeling somewhat like a turkey who's being wished a happy Thanksgiving. And if not for that, maybe it's because you look at the news. Have you looked at the news lately? (laughs) And it's not just lately. It's been forever since I can remember. Even as a little kid, I hate to watch... I love to watch the weather, by the way, but I don't like watching the rest of it because everything is negative and it causes this anxiety in your hearts, right? Several, uh, a couple months ago, it was the massacre at Las Vegas. Two weeks ago, it was in a Baptist church that 26 people lost their lives. And by the way, some of you have asked, and I want you to know right up front, we are working on security measures here at Cornerstone, okay? So you need to understand that. We're working on that. Um, it's in process right now, even as we speak. So, so ultimately, God is our protector, as we're going to see in a moment, but we want to be prepared as well. So just know that we are working on that. But, but maybe you looked at the news, you've seen those things, and even this last week down in Northern California and the school stuff, and, and that kind of stuff has you anxious. You, you feel anything but happy and, and, and thankful this, this Thanksgiving. I recently read this article out of this magazine, Outreach Magazine, and on the cover is Max Lucado, who I have grown very respectful for. I, I, have, I have got to meet him, um, I, I've got to watch him in action, and I have high regard for this man of God. He is a man of God. 
And he's come out with his new book, and it's called uh, Anxious for Nothing, Finding Calm in the Chaos. Well, in Outreach Magazine, the current issue, they've done an interview with Max, and, and, and they've asked him several things about anxiety in our nation. And one of the things that they make this point of saying is that America, by many people's standard, has become the most anxious nation in the world. Max goes on to say that he believes there's two reasons for that. Number one, we've kicked God out of everything. It's interesting to me, by the way, that when things like two weeks ago, we, we cry out and we want to blame God for what took place when we're the ones that have kicked him out of every place. It's interesting how that changes so quickly. But nonetheless, we've taken God out of things, so we have no hope, we have no certainty, we have no security because we have no God in America. I thought that might get at least a little bit of an amen. But the second thing he says is the media is at our disposal. On our phones, it happens, and five minutes later, we know about it, no matter whether it's in our hometown or clear across the world, we know about it just like that. And, and Max says that causes us to become one of the most anxious nations in the whole wide world. In fact, he says this, and I, I found this was interesting. He uses the thoughts of psychologist Philip Zimbardo. I don't know who the guy is, but he's kind of quoted in this article. And, and he says this, it appears that children these days feel the same level of, of stress as the average psychiatric patient of the 1950s. In 1950, you would go to a psychiatrist for the same level of stress that kids in America are experiencing now today. Wow. So what do we do with all this? What do we do if we feel anxiety and fear instead of happy and thankful this Thanksgiving? How can we really have a happy Thanksgiving? Well, I'm going to be up front with you. I cannot give you answers for why. I can't tell you why that happened two weeks ago. I can't, I can't. But I can say there is someone who wants to provide you with a peace, with a calm in the midst of the chaos. He wants to take away your anxiety and flood your heart with peace and even joy this Thanksgiving. And in Psalm 136, we see the psalmist revealing the promise of our God to us. A promise that is, that is in all 26 verses it is stated. And you'll notice this with me. At the end of each verse, depending on what your translation says, it's the same statement. My ESV says, for his steadfast love endures forever. We hear that statement 26 times in Psalm 136. 26 times at the end of every verse, for his steadfast love endures forever. That is our promise today. See, I believe we can take away the anxiety that is deep within our hearts and replace it with a calm if we will come to the point in our lives where we will believe that his steadfast love endures forever forever, even to us, even when our circumstances might con, uh, cause us to think otherwise. His steadfast love still endures forever, forever, in the midst of whatever may come. 
And so what takes center stage in this psalm is the word chesed. No, I didn't sneeze. That's, that's the word chesed. I've been working on how to pronounce that. In, in, in the Hebrew, it's like you say human, and you emphasize the So it's chesed. Well, that was really good, huh? That got your attention, if nothing else. I don't think anything. Did you get anything on you? Okay, good. Whew, that was close. Chesed. It is the word hesed in the Hebrew that is repeated 26 times. And this word is a word that we have not, we don't have an equal English word to translate it into. There is no one English word. Some have tried devotion. Some have tried the word loving kindness. Some have tried the, the, the word um, um, his patient uh, love toward us. Um, but, but there is no one English word that describes it because it includes three things. It includes, first of all, his love for us, his compassion for his, his mercy, his, 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 his love toward us. But... This also involves something to back that love up. It includes his strength, his omnipotence. He is all-powerful, and therefore, he has a strong love toward us. There is nothing that you can go through that will hinder or block God's love from you. His love is strong. But then there's this idea in this word, chesed, and it's also the idea of everlasting. In other words, God, as strong as he is to give you his love, he will never remove his love from you. It is steadfast. So we're talking about his strong, steadfast love. And that's repeated 26 times. And the, the, the first part of each verse then reveals to us something that I want us to get a hold of this morning about his strong, steadfast love. Have you ever heard the statement, a promise is only as good as the one who makes it? You ever heard of that? A promise is only as good as the one who stands behind it. In other words, if the person giving you a promise is not very trustworthy, neither is the promise. But if the one who gives you a promise is absolutely faithful, totally truthful, and will follow through on what he says, then the promise is solid. That's what the psalmist is doing in Psalm 136. He is saying, listen, listen, listen. God's strong, steadfast love is forever and it is aimed at you. And this promise is certain because of the character of God, because he's the one making this promise. And I want us to see four truths about God this morning that makes his promise of steadfast love toward you absolutely true. And the first we'll see is in verses 1 through 9. 1 through 9. Now, now in a while, we are going to read this together. This, this was a psalm that, that was used at Passover by the nation of Israel. And typically what they would do is a person would stand up, read the first part of each verse, and the congregation re would respond, for his steadfast love endures forever. It was, a, it was a responsive reading that would take place. And we're going to do that in a moment. I, excuse me, I did not want to do that right now until we understood it. Sorry, I'm getting a phone call. That's weird. Should I take it? No, I won't. It's probably a telemarketer. Anyway, nonetheless, get rid of that thing. Um, so, goodness sakes. Should we pray and start over? 
<laughs> Man. <laughs> okay, let's go back. Here's what we're talking about. A promise is only as good as the one who makes it. The promise of God's steadfast love toward you is backed by his character. It's backed by who he is. So I'm going to read, until we get to that portion where we're going to read it together, I'm going to read the first part of each verse to give us an understanding of who God is here. Notice verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Verse 2. Give thanks to the God of gods. Verse 3, give thanks to the Lord of lords. Verse 4, to him who alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day. The moon and stars to rule over the night. For his steadfast love endures forever. All these things tell us about a characteristic of our God. And I would put it together and say this. It is none other here than the sovereign creator who makes this promise to us. A promise of his steadfast love. The sovereign creator has promised his steadfast. Can you go back just to one ver- uh, one, the first one? Thank you very much. Yeah, first one. Don't look. Don't, know, don't look. There we go. The sovereign creator has promised us his steadfast love. This is what we want. He is sovereign. He is a sovereign creator. Notice what the psalmist says in verses 1 through 3. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, but look at who he's, he calls him. He calls him Lord. This is the only time in Psalm 136 that that name of God is used. It's the, it's the word Yahweh. When, when it's uh, small capitalized in your Bible, it means Yahweh. Yahweh was the personal covenant name that God had between himself and his people. It was a name that, that, that was for his people. And it speaks of God's eternal existence that is dependent upon no one. God is eternally existing forever and ever, and he does not depend on anyone or anything. But it has this idea of all that he is, he is to his people. It's this covenant relationship. The Lord is good. That's what the psalmist says. Our Yahweh, our covenant-making God is good. But notice he's described as the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the one who is over all supposed gods. In fact, the scripture says there's only one God. There's only one true living God. Amen? Amen. There's only one true living God. So therefore, there is no other God beside the one true living God. He is the God of gods. But notice he is the Lord of lords. He has absolute dominion. If there's anybody in our culture who who would rise to a a level of authority over us, and there is, and it's God-given, God is far above them. He is the Lord of all bosses. Can we say that? He's the Lord of all bosses. He's the Lord of all uh, presidents. He's the Lord of all kings. He is the Lord of all rulers. He is the Lord of all magistrates. He is Lord of them all. His dominion is far greater than them. In fact, Isaiah would tell us that he's the one who lifts rulers up. And just like that, he blows them away. God is the one who is over them. He is Lord of lords. He is God of gods. He is absolute sovereign. Totally sovereign. But notice this sovereign one, as the psalmist goes on, is also our creator. Notice in verse 4, to him 
who alone does great wonders. Verse 5, to him who by understanding made the heavens. And now the psalmist is going to talk about creation. He mentions here the second, third, and fourth day of creation found in Genesis chapter 1. When God created the heavens. And then he created the earth. And then he created the lights to govern the sky. The moon by night, the the, uh, moon and stars by night, the sun by day. Those are things that our God created. And if you look back in Genesis chapter 1, you see he did it merely by his spoken word. He spoke and it was so. He is the sovereign one who is over all, creator God. He is the one who created. And you know what? Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare his glory, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. I think the psalmist intentionally speaks of the heavens and, and, and the, scar, uh, the, the uh, sun and the, and the moon and the stars because who doesn't look up at a night sky filled with scars and, or scars, stars <laughs> and thinks to themselves, how small I am. Have you ever done that? Been out camping and you look up in the night sky and there's these billions of stars and the, the moon might be shining, but if you're going to see stars, probably not as bright. But, but you see this and it just makes you feel so small. But it also reveals how grand, how majestic, how ginormous. I think that's a made-up word, but it's almost Christmas and there's a movie that uses that word, so I'm going to use it. Ginormous our God is. He's huge. He is the sovereign creator. And here's what this is saying. It's the sovereign creator who has promised you his steadfast love. A promise is only as good as the one who makes it. It's the sovereign creator who promises us that he will forever love us. Wow. So he's the sovereign creator. But this psalm also goes on and reveals not only is he the sovereign creator, but he is the mighty redeemer. He's the mighty redeemer. The mighty redeemer has promised us his steadfast love. Look with me at verse 10. Now we move from, from the nature and looking up into the sky. Now the psalmist reminds the people of Israel what took place years ago in Egypt. And he says, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, verse 11, and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. He is talking about that, that, that exodus that we read in the book of Exodus. God spoke to Moses and said, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. I know they are in bondage. I know they are in slavery in Israel, or excuse me, in Egypt, and I'm ready to do something about it, so I'm going to send you to them. And I relate to Moses because Moses goes, you got the wrong guy, Lord. Not me. Surely not me. And every excuse Moses has, God says, I'm going to take care of that. I got that. I got it. And so Moses goes in. And you remember the nation of Israel was in slavery. But Moses was used of God to bring the nation of Israel out from underneath that slavery. See, to redeem means to purchase unto freedom. It is to redeem. It is to look at somebody who is caught in some sort of oppression, some sort of slavery, and it is to pay their way out to freedom. 
And the nation of Israel was under the slavery of Egypt. And God used Moses through a series of plagues, ten to be exact. And there were ten plagues, and and you get to the tenth plague, and notice what even the, the psalmist says. He struck down, verse 10, the firstborn. That's the tenth plague. It is the the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians who die. And finally, Pharaoh says, get out of here. He's not just letting them go. He's pushing. He's forcing them out of Egypt. And they leave. He is a redeemer. He redeemed his people out of Egypt. He he purchased them and led them into the wilderness. and, And he was giving them their freedom. Verse 10 is amazing to me because it made me think, You got the same telemarketer, I'll bet, huh? <laughs> That's nobody important, is it? And, oh. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, goodness sakes. Here we go. Sorry. Those of you that are in the teaching class, just keep going when things like that happen. Don't do what I just did, okay? So here's the deal. He is a redeemer. He redeemed the Egyptians out uh, by the firstborn of the Egyptians. Their, Their firstborn died. But it does remind me of the cross of Jesus Christ, right? Where God sacrificed His own Son, His only Son on our behalf for our redemption. See, see, the psalmist is reminding the Israelites, reminding us today that God is this redeemer. He redeemed the nation of Israel out from Egypt. He has redeemed us or made it possible for us to be redeemed by the, first de- the death of his firstborn, his only son, Jesus Christ. And he's a mighty Mighty Redeemer, because look what it says. He's, he's not just a, a Redeemer, but He's mighty. Verse 12, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, He redeemed them. In fact, it goes so far as to say, verse 13, to Him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, to Him who led His people through the wilderness. God redeemed His people. And he did it in a mighty way. Not only did he provide the ten plagues, but he parted the Red Sea. i got to be honest with you, dear church. This roof project seems like a Red Sea moment for me. I'm sitting here at the edge of a roof project going, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how we're going to get to the other side of this. I see on the other side great vision. I see on the other side great great mission for us as a church family. But it seems like this, this big Red Sea of the roof is right in our way. But see, what God is doing is saying, hey, remember how I redeemed this situation back here? Remember how I parted the waters for the Israelites? I mightily redeemed them. I can redeem this situation as well, Jeff. That's what I feel he's, he's saying to me. And I'm, and I'm working. I'm like, I'm like, I think it was Thomas, help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. See, but God did it before. And the point is this, it's the mighty Redeemer who promises us His steadfast love. Yes, He's a, he's a sovereign Creator, but He's also this mighty Redeemer who redeemed His people, who, who made it possible for you and I to be redeemed at the cross of His Son, Jesus Christ. He's the one that's promised it. But thirdly, notice 
Not only did he lead his people out of Egypt, not only did he, he redeem them, but thirdly, we see that he is a covenant keeper. <laughs> He's a covenant keeper. Way, 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 way back in Genesis, God spoke to Abram, who later became Abraham. And you know what God's covenant with Abram was? Three things God said, I'm going to do for you. Number one, I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abram's going like, but I don't even have a kid yet, and I'm like 80. What are you talking about? No, I'm going to make you a great nation. Secondly, I'm going to give you land. And not just any land. This land is going to be incredible, fruitful land. And then the third promise is blessing. I'm going to bless you, and the nations are going to be blessed through you. God promises this to Abram. He makes this covenant with him, a covenant of being a nation, of land, and of blessing. And what the psalmist does now is he reminds the people of Israel that God made good on his covenant, especially in the covenant of land. Because notice what he says, verse 17. To him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, that gave their and gave their land as an heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. He's talking about when the nation of Israel, under the command of Joshua, went into the land. And actually, Sihon and Og, these are kings that they met even before they crossed the Jordan River. These are kings that were mighty kings. They were, they were kings to be feared. And yet, the psalmist is reminding them, hey, listen, God who made this covenant with our forefather Abram, or Abraham, fulfilled it. He brought the people through, and he, and he, and he he, he pushed out these great kings, Og and Sion. The, these great and mighty armies were, were conquered by, by Moses, or excuse me, by Joshua and, the, and his army. They were conquered under that. And, and, and he routed them out and he gave their land to the nation as a heritage, as a promise. He's a covenant keeper God. He kept his covenant. He made Abram into a great nation, Right? He gave them land. And through the nation of Israel, Messiah came. Jesus came and died on the cross so that God not only blessed the nation of Israel, but through the nation of Israel, through the Messiah, we all can have blessing. Our sins can be forgiven once and for all, and we have hope of heaven. We have certainty of eternity with the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. God is a covenant keeping God. See, his promise is as good as his character. His promise is as good as his track record. He's already kept such an incredible covenant with the nation of Israel. He will certainly keep his promise of his steadfast love toward you today. See, he's a covenant keeper. And then finally, as we get to the last several verses here, verse 23, I want you to see that it's our gracious Savior who promises us His steadfast love. I love what this says. It says in verse 23, it is He who remembered. He remembered us in our low estate. Verse 24, and He rescued us 
from our foes. In verse 25, he who gives food to all flesh. He's reminding the nation of Israel in this psalm here at this point that God is a gracious Savior. He remembered us. He didn't have to remember us. He's God. He's the sovereign creator of the world and the universe. He is the one who is above, above and beyond. He owes us nothing. But guess what? He graciously remembered us in our lowest state. And, and, and probably the psalmist is referring once again to Egypt and their, uh, being in, under the slavery of the Egyptians there. He remembered us. Even when we had been there for years and years and years, he remembered us. But not only did he remember us, he did something about it. He rescued us. He rescued us. Can I tell you something today? You might be here, and you might be thinking, God's forgot me. I don't think God remembers I'm even alive. It seems like with the things that have gone on in my life recently... He's just forgotten about me. And maybe you're even to the point this morning where you're crying out, Oh God, how long will you forget me? And guess what? You're not alone. See, there are others in this place who are doing the same thing. How do I know that? Because we all are like King David, who in the psalm said the very same thing. Oh, Lord, how long will you remember me no more? How long will you forget me? How long will you ignore me? How long will you? God, or King David cried out to God. It seems like you don't remember me, he says. And you might be at that point this morning. You might be here going... I think he's forgotten about me. He doesn't care about me. He's not concerned with the details of my life. And I would tell you otherwise, he has remembered you. He does know everything about you. He knows every detail, every circumstance you're going through. He knows the hurts of your heart. He knows what your thoughts are. After all, the Bible says he's got the hairs on your head numbered. And as the joke goes for some, that's easier to count than others, right? No. But he does have our hair's number. He knows us. He has remembered us. But here's the amazing thing. He has made a way for us to be rescued. He has made a way for us to be saved. He has graciously seen our lowly estate. And he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross For our salvation. You see, our greatest enemy is sin and death. Sin which leads to death. Sin and death are our greatest enemies. And God knew that there was no way you and I could deal with sin and death on our own. There was no way you and I could ever get rid of sin in our life. There is no way that you and I could ever take care of sin and and therefore be in a right relationship with God. And so what did he do? He sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross experiencing the wrath of our sin. He was perfect. He knew no sin. But God made him sin on our behalf so that when we put our faith and trust in him, our sins are gone. And we become the righteousness of God in him. We have an enemy. Ultimately, it's death. And the Bible says that each one of us 
are sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin in in Romans 6.23 is death. There's not one of us who is not a sinner, the Bible says. And because of that sin, we deserve death. But because of our issue, because he has remembered us, he made a way for us to be rescued, for us to be saved sending his son Jesus. And we get to come now after Thanksgiving to to focus in on Christmas time. It's not a time of, of presence and everything. It's a time to remember what our God has done for us. I mean, presence and everything, that's part of it, sure. But that's not the main reason we celebrate Christmas as Christians. It's because of his saving grace toward us that he sent his only begotten son. And so, so, so the psalmist here is saying, remember your gracious Savior. He's the one that's promising you this. He's the one that's promising his steadfast love toward you. He is the sovereign creator. He's the mighty redeemer. He is indeed the, the covenant keeper. And now he is our gracious Savior. Can we have a happy Thanksgiving? In spite of what's going on in our lives personally? In spite of what's going on in our nation? In spite of what's going on in this world? Can we still say happy Thanksgiving and receive it from one another as, yes, I will have a happy Thanksgiving? See, It's not in anything that's going on in our life. It's not in our circumstances that we should find happiness or giving of thanks. It's in recognizing the promise of the one who said to you, my steadfast love is with you forever. I don't care what things you're going through. My steadfast love remains faithful. It remains sure. It remains true. It doesn't answer the why questions, but it answers the how I'm going to get through this. I'm going to hang on to my, the, the promise that says his, faithful, his love is toward me. His love is toward me. At the end of that article that I referred to where Max Lucado is interviewed, I love it. The, the interviewer asks this question. What's the opposite of anxiety? He says, Max, what is the opposite of anxiety? And, and it's written down, so I can only imagine how that interview went. I would imagine that without much hesitation and very strongly, Max Lucado said one word, faith. And I, I kind of know that because it's capitalized and it's got an exclamation point in the, in the article. So, so I think Max Lucado was pretty strong. You see, anxiety and faith cannot dwell in the same heart. So if you're here today feeling anxiety, know that you're not alone. Know that you're not the only one. Know that not only are there other people in this place who are feeling the same, but know as well that King David himself felt the same. But here's what I'd encourage you to do. Follow through by saying, God, I believe you. You are a covenant keeper. You are a mighty redeemer. You are a sovereign creator. And above all, you are a gracious savior. And I believe you when you say your steadfast love is with me 
forever and ever and ever and ever. Even greater than the Energizer Bunny, right? See, that's God's love toward us. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do. I'm going to ask us to stand together. Before you do, just let me explain. I'm going to ask us to stand together. And because we each have different translations of Scripture, I want us to read this as a responsive reading. So on the screen, you will see the passage in the only... In a, in a great version of Scripture translation, the ESV. I was going to make it bigger than I thought. But in the ESV, you will see it up here. I will read the italicized words, and you just keep saying, for his steadfast love endures forever. You're going to do it 26 times. It may sound like you're going to get, I mean, like it's too much. You may get bored with it. You may start thinking about other things. But try to stay engaged because this is his promise to you today. His steadfast love endures forever. So would you stand with me? I'm going to read the italicized words, and you just simply read those straight-up words, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the Word of God today, and it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Amen. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights. For his steadfast love. The sun to rule over the day. For his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. For his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them. For his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. For his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. For his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings. For his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings. For his steadfast love endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites. For his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan. For his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage. For his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant. For his steadfast love endures forever. You're doing good. We're on the home stretch. Keep it going, okay? Keep it going. It is he who remembered us in our low estate. For his steadfast love endures forever. And rescued us from our foes. For his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh. For his steadfast love endures forever. 
Give thanks to the God of heaven. For his steadfast love endures Today I want to encourage you as we sing this last song. Maybe you need to respond in some way this morning. Maybe you need to respond and you're here and you just need to respond of what God offers you. Salvation through Jesus Christ. His death on the cross. He is a gracious Savior. He remembers you. He knows you. He sees you. He understands what you're going through. And maybe you have never come to a point in your life where you have said, I believe. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I receive him as my Savior. If you've never done that, let today be the day because his steadfast love endures forever toward you. He has offered that to you. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. And so maybe you just need to believe and receive the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for you today. Maybe you're here and you are full of fear and anxiety. Maybe you are struggling for any tiny little bit of peace, any tiny little bit of calm in your heart. Maybe today he's just saying, believe this. The truth is, my steadfast love is toward you no matter what circumstances you're going through. No matter what you're feeling inside, the truth is, I love you. I love you. That's what he's saying to you today. I love you. And there's nothing that can keep my love from being poured out on you. And I say that very strongly because some of us think otherwise. We tend to think that way, but that's not true. He loves you. And maybe you need to find that calm and that peace by just simply believing that, holding that today. Father, we just come to you this morning and thank you for your steadfast love, for your chesed, for the way that you have promised it to us and the way you have backed that promise up by revealing who you are. God, you are the sovereign creator of the heavens and the earth, and yet you're mindful of us. God, you are the mighty redeemer who redeemed your people out of Egypt in a mighty, mighty way, leading them through the Red Sea. And you're the one who did even better than that when you sent your son, Jesus, to die and rise again, that we might have redemption in his name. Father, you are the covenant keeper. We know that your promises are sure. You kept your covenant with Israel and you keep your promises to us. And Lord, we give you praise today because you are our gracious Savior through Jesus Christ. I pray for my brothers and sisters here that we would find peace, that we really, really, really would have a happy, happy Thanksgiving, that we would give thanks no matter what's going on in our lives or in this nation. I pray, Father, for those in this place right now who don't have a relationship with Jesus, who have never believed and received him as their Savior. And I pray that right now, right now, as they would sense the knocking, your knocking on the door of their heart, that they would open it up and receive Jesus as their Savior. And dear friend, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something. If the Lord's knocking on your door and you want to open up the door of your heart, would you just simply slip up your hand? Everybody's heads bowed, eyes are closed, it's no big deal. The Lord wants to, to, to come into your heart and life today. Just lift up your hand if that's you today. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the certain hope and assurance that we have 
of your steadfast love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.